Welcome to Off Air. It's your weekly podcast where two media professionals, Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, pull apart our top three favorite stories of the week that you need to know about, and we give you a little look behind the media curtain. Plus, we've also got a Facebook group as well. It's a private Facebook group. It's called Off Air Podcast Community, where we discuss all of the topics and we hear your thoughts too. Uh, If you commented on any of the stories this week, you might find yourself in the podcast. This week, we're going to be getting into, can your boss make you get the jab? Will Australia be getting a new prime minister before the election? And let's take a look at the latest conspiracy theory that's taking the US by storm. What is our mandate? Tim Rubin. It's super creepy to reanimate somebody's dead father for their birthday. Nick Stewart. I really leaned into trying to get radicalised by ISIS. You're listening to Off Air. I believe it's this. I'm in a new place once again, Nick. Yeah, I've noticed. So are you back in Melbourne? I'm in Melbourne again uh, in Victoria. We got out of Tassie. The lockdown in Victoria finished. Um, And this is going to be my second, this weekend coming, my second weekend in Victoria this year. Oh, wow. I did not realise it's been that bad. Yeah. How crazy is that? That (laughs) It's been such a weird year. How's, what's what's been happening in, in your world? Oh, not much. I had a birthday. Um, so that was fun. I turned 32, which was a revelation to me because I thought I was 32 for most of last year. And then my fiance <laughs> reminded me my actual age. So I've, I've, I feel like I've gained a year, Tim. It's absolutely fantastic. Happy 30, happy 32nd birthday. What did you do to celebrate? I tried to call you and you rejected it or we're busy. <laughs> and uh, and your really... mum posted in the off air group as well saying happy birthday, Nick. Yeah, I know. I she was really needs to uh, settle it down. She'll do that on my radio stations as well. So she yeah. is a shameless stage mom. It, it was great. I wouldn't have known otherwise. I don't know if your birthday saved in my phone. I, so... I don't think it got any comments or anything. Uh, no, I just caught up with family. It was really lovely. I uh, had some family travel up from Port Macquarie, New South Wales to Brisbane, and we went to the Brecky Creek Hotel, which is a great old old pub in Brisbane and hung out and had some drinks and yeah, it was lovely. It was a really nice birthday. I feel like they become less and less meaningful now until you hit 40. Like the next, the next milestone's a shitty milestone, which is mid thirties. And then, and then 40 is where you really recalibrate your life and start doing weird stuff. You become very, very focused on you. Can I just say, I think that you are like primed for that 40 weird stuff. I can't wait. I'm you're so gonna just ready. embrace it. I can. You're gonna have braids. You're gonna mm. r- start riding a, a motorbike or a moped or something. I think I you, might I th- dye my pubes. It'll be cool. Forty's <laughs> gonna look great on you. On that note, should we get started? Story number one. This week, Nick, we saw the Prime Minister Scott Morrison get the jab. They've officially started rolling it out to the first tier of people across the country, and this is basically quarantine staff and healthcare workers. Tier two is going to be old people, and Nick, you and I should be getting the vaccine somewhere around August 2043. Um, The vaccine, however, comes with a whole stack of moral dilemmas around the rollout. And a group that I'm in on Facebook, it's called Bendigo Have Your Say. It's kind of like uh, an unofficial notice board for Bendigo. Had a Mm. poll running this week asking, will you be getting the vaccine? This morning, I checked the poll, had just less than 1,000 votes, 980 or something, and the results were pretty much bang on 50-50. Does that surprise Mm. you? Yeah, it does actually. Although uh, knowing if you live in a regional town and you listen to this, and you are probably a member of one of these Facebook groups, which is the, you know, regional community, let's all get involved. 
usually it attracts the majority of people are the crazy people that yeah. comment. So I would say it's probably skewed a little bit, but it does surprise me because I think that the majority of the population are pro getting jabbed, I think. Yes, but, well, I mean, not according to that poll. I, I think you're right, the majority. Um, at the same time, I, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but in New South Wales, Gladys is considering bringing in a bill that's going to incentivize people getting the vaccine. So hmm. she ha- uh, is looking at rules like without proof of vaccination, you can't enter pubs, bars, and restaurants. Wow. Yeah. They have a potential rule um, allowing businesses to make a proof of vaccination a condition of entry, the same as previously we've had wearing a mask a condition of entry. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've also said uh, it's possible that you could require vaccination in order to enter government buildings, which it would essentially mean that if you don't have the vaccination, you can't hold a government job. Is this just deployed to try to get Craig Kelly out of politics? Yes or no? Well, it's already been happening, I think. Craig Kelly's been <laughs> weirdly removing himself. I, it would definitely be a ploy to remove general nutters from politics. What do you mm. think about those rules in general, though? Look, I'm, I, you know, I'm a real weirdo because uh, I do. I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Siri's got an opinion on it as well. So I didn't realize this was a three-person <laughs> podcast. Shut up, Siri. Um, Nick you know, Stewart, I, what do you think? I am one of those weird people that, like, I am a center leftist, but I also don't believe in over-governance. Uh, and, and it do, obviously alarm bells do always sort of come out. When you hear about the government forcing you to do something medically, although there is already things that they do force. And I think on this occasion, it is to the benefit of everyone. Um, it's tough. I don't know. I don't know what I think on it. It's really hard. I never like to see government uh, overimposing themselves on our lifestyles. But I, I, I think I agree that I'm okay with this this happening where it does become more of a mandatory thing. Would uh, Are you pro the government stepping in on this, Tim? I feel like you would be. Yeah, I totally am. Um, I think that this is one of those instances. I think people talk about our civil liberties and um, those liberties being protected all the time and protecting our freedom within this society. Um, at the same time, in order to protect the freedom of a society, I think you have to protect the society. And so if uh, there's nobody left alive, then there's not a lot of freedoms left to protect. But there have been a number of interesting conversations that have spun off this. One of them that I saw that was in the news, a uh, very clickbaity headline uh, today about your mate Wally Dali, who we spoke about last week on the podcast. This is the headline. Wally Dali cut off by producers during COVID rant. Um, so he was in a heated debate with Rachel Corbett about the next phase of what we were just talking about of these rules. And one thing that they were debating, and this is quite a national debate, is whether or not employers should have the right to demand that their employees get the vaccine. So in Australia, we obviously have some really great workplace protection law that means that like employers can't hire or fire you because of your religion, a boss... Mm. Um, Uh, has to provide a safe workplace for you and an employer can't ask if you're like planning on getting pregnant and things like that. So I think that this is a really interesting specific area to look in because with the rules that we were talking about previously, like a business making a decision, rejecting people if they didn't have the vaccine, at the end of the day, that's that business's decision. 
Um, it's its own private entity. But talking about the uh, the rights and responsibilities of employers as a whole gets really, really tricky. So do yeah. you think that a boss should be able to mandate that their employees get vaccinated? You've brought this up to try to trap me in a web so that I agree with Waleed Ali. <laughs> I know what you're doing. You're sitting there with your smarmy little grin on your face going, uh, he called Waleed Ali a cockhead. Now he's going to have to agree with him. And the answer is, Tim, yes, I do agree with Waleed Ali on this point. I do not think that employees have the right. Okay? So fucking sue me, whatever. I guess I'm a bleeding heart social justice warrior just like Waleed Ali. You're allowed to agree with people that you disagree with the majority of the time. I, I agree also, just for the record, with Pauline Hanson that we should ban the swast sticker. If you want to line up people, that we so I do think. Don't uh, get into that, Nick, because that's story number two and three. Um, <laughs> no, I. This is um, very big of you. This is very big of you to come around with Wally Daly. And just for the record, <laughs> I disagree uh, with you, but I, but I still want to hear hear your thoughts on it because I want to unpack it. Why do you agree that employers should not have this right? I am okay with the government um, having the right to do this. It's like I said, I'm, I'm soft on that. I, I do agree that, that a government, because a government is something we all vicariously agree to be part of because mm. we choose to live in this country and therefore we reap the benefits of the government. We don't actively choose to participate in a capitalist society where multinational corporations can decide what you choose to do to your body. And it's sort of along the same lines of, it's a catch-22, and you can call me a hypocrite, but we all are. But it's sort of along the lines of, in some respects, I guess, not being able to discriminate against people based on their piercings or tattoos. Like, I, I don't think that any company should have the right to tell you what you can or can't do to your body. I know you're going into agreement with them because you have chosen to be employed by them, but you chose to be employed by them before they had this right. Now, I do think there is some differences. I do think, uh, for example, the fact that uh, fly and fly out mining sites can drug test people and you have agreed to sign up to that. So there is levels of difference, but I, w I wouldn't agree with, even though I am going to get the jab at the earliest possible convenience, I don't necessarily agree that, say, for example, my company, Southern Cross Osteria, would have the right to tell me I have to be inoculated by something. See, I disagree with you because don't workplaces um, have the responsibility of protecting the workers who work there? So if mm -hmm. you are working in a large building and you're immunocompromised, for example, mm -hmm. and you're unable to get the jab, um, you are relying on A, your workplace, your company, and then B, the people who are within that company to protect you and protect your, your life. And if the company isn't able to do that, then we are making people with those problems, we're essentially pushing them out of our society against their will. So do you think that they should be bearing the brunt of the decisions by by anti-vaxxers? No, I think it needs to be an open conversation. And I also think it's per, it's important to acknowledge that you can be pro-vaccination in general and potentially anti-immediately getting this vaccination. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not. But I think that, 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 that there's two broad generalizations there because also a, a lot of workforces now are able to operate remotely. We've learned that through last year. There are some that aren't, but say... For example, my fiance, your fiance's job, if she's strongly opposed to getting the vaccine, 
their workplace could probably make a compromise where they say, well, you work remotely and potentially Zoom in for meetings or things like that. I just don't like that level of control being handed over to corporations. And I guess that's where the lefty in me comes out is that I don't think that we should have our lifestyles dictated to. I think we already get sucked up too much into the vortex of work. I mean, it's funny whenever I hear someone say, you know, oh, you know, my workplace is great. We've got ping pong tables and we get free drinks on a Friday. You know what else is fucking great? Working and then going out to the pub with your friends because you don't yeah. have to spend 12 hours a day at your workplace. You know what I mean? Like I'd much rather have a beanbag at home as opposed to having a beanbag in a breakout room in my funky, cool hipster office. So that's just where, like, that's where I draw the line. But again, I'm not opposed to the government having a mandate on it. So it's, it's, and obviously if the government has a mandate, I don't need to worry about companies doing it. So I guess what I'm probably saying is I would more like our government to take responsibility for this as opposed to pushing it onto workplaces. Does that make more sense? Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. And I think having seen the government and Scott Morrison, he has never once pushed responsibilities onto other people ever. <laughs> so I think we're, we're pretty safe hands. Let's have a look at some of the Facebook comments on this. We have got a Facebook group yeah. off air podcast community where we talk about the topics each week. Um, and I said, should an employer have the right to uh, ask or force an employee to get the vaccine. Caitlin commented, she said, I think a big corporation could request employees who work at their head offices get the jab since they will all interact with hundreds of people on each floor, similar to a no jab, no fly from an airline. However, this might lead to less people getting vaccinated so that they can maintain the work from home lifestyle, which I thought was a really interesting point because it mm. actually could potentially in, uh, incentivize people not getting vaccinated because they like hanging out at home. They don't want to have to go back to work. Well, um, we're definitely seeing over the past 12 months who's an introvert and who's an extrovert, aren't we? Yeah. Like in terms of the people that want to go into the office and don't. <laughs> um, Katie has commented, as compared to Caitlin just, just before, I work in community services and I think 100% it should be a requirement of employment to be vaccinated. And Stephen had an interesting take. He wrote, yes, if it helps to manage risks to the staff members other staff and the public. My employers pay my annual flu vax and has also paid for other occupational vaccines due to travel. In some cases, if an employee doesn't get vaccinated, then they may also not be covered by insurance, e.g. in the case of travel or other occupational categories. Any employer asking staff to be vaccinated would need to ensure that it was related to risk mitigation. I guess the one question that I have at the end of all of this is, let's say we go your way and let's say we say, okay, businesses can't pressure people into getting a vaccination what mm. happens let's say you're woolies for example you can't say you need to have a vaccination a bunch of your checkout people don't get vaccinated and then they catch it and they spread it and it shuts down stores who ends up paying for that and there i mean there's huge damage to the woolies brand and if we were to scale that down to a mum and pop store, you know, your general hardware store, that could put that business out of business. So is it worth the civil liberty if potentially businesses go under? Well, it's more about that. I, I mean, I think my uh, opinion is a bit more nuanced than that because I'm saying that it's more about what you and I are actually just arguing on splitting the difference over who should implement it. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying I would like to see it implemented on a government level as opposed to a corporate level, because I don't, I, I would, I would, I, I hate the fact that more and more of our, our liberties are being controlled by corporations as opposed to government. That's all I'm saying. It, it, to answer your question, it's really interesting. I think insurance companies would end up 
fighting over it in court. And the only people that are going to get money are lawyers, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody should just go and get it anyway and don't make your bloody work try and pressure you into it. Story number two. Are we going to see a new prime minister before we even have an election? Now, the reason I raise this question is because at the moment, despite the fact Scott Morrison has done incredibly well in standalone opinion polls versus Anthony Albanese, he's starting to get increasingly more pressure from both traditional media, social media, the general public, and he is embroiled in a number of scandals that could undo his government at any moment. You've got Facebook uh, at the moment, which has just been reversed, which has been very cleverly marketed to look like a backflip from Facebook when it is in fact a backflip from the government. And then you have the continuing rape sagas that are engulfing the entire Liberal Party. We're up to four now. It looks like, I know, I know, from the one guy who is 24 years old. In a week and a half. I think it's a week, yeah, because we did it last week on the podcast. So yeah. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And Tim, it looks like even the Murdoch media tide is turning. Uh, at the moment, they've let Josh Frydenberg take all of the praise for reversing the Facebook decision. It also has resulted in a number of headlines being super critical of Scott Morrison, including Alan Jones, who may as well have Rupert Murdoch's hand shoved up his ass. He is that much of a puppet. <laughs> I've never seen t- Alan Jones speak while Rupert Murdoch's drinking water. That's what I'm going to say. I've never seen it happen. But it looks yeah, like on. the tide is turning. My first question is, do you think that the Liberal Party could possibly do their their go-to trick again and get rid of an unpopular PM before the election to try to push in a popular guy to win over an unpopular Labor leader? And secondly, who do you think is likely to step up in his place? Okay, so this has totally caught me off guard. I didn't know about this story and I haven't looked into this. So I'm completely going off the top of my head and there's a good chance that what I say could be rubbish and you uh, may correct (laughs) me very quickly. I don't think they're going to do it. I, you don't um, think they will? No, because for a long time, the Liberal Party has always has, has touted itself as the stable choice. And they've mm. made such a mockery of the Labor Party when they were when all the backstabbing was going on back and forward between Julia Gillard, Kevin Rudd and so on. Um, even though the Liberal Party did end up basically doing the exact same thing, they really tried to distance themselves from that. And the other thing is, I think that the Australian population is so forgetful when it comes to politics. We forgive, we forget, we move on immediately. Like when I talk about, if I were to say, uh, how do people feel about Scott Morrison and the bushfires? People Mm. don't care anymore. And that was, what was that? That was last year. It was last January. So yeah, you're right. It was, it's still within the past 18 months. The guy was on holiday. Well, all of Australia was on fire, yeah, and and he and he didn't come back for for a long time. People for a were... week. It was a week after people started to raise questions about it. He he dilly dallied. He first of all he wouldn't tell people where he was, which yeah. was incredible. And then he came back and tried to force a bunch of people to shake his hand. If you, if you remember, <laughs> I mean, pe- people were dying. Thousands of people, including people that I know, lost their family homes, lost their homes, lost their businesses. And Australia just kind of moved on. And so many people, and especially the Liberal supporters, forgot about it. So mm. I don't mean to shoot down your story, but I don't. Th- I, I don't think it's going to happen. Do you? Is there evidence that it's going to happen? There is mounting evidence. There is mounting evidence that it looks like Scott Morrison could potentially be rolled, probably ironically by Peter Dutton, 
Uh, <laughs> which is exa- which you've got to remember is exactly what happened with Malcolm Turnbull. Mm. Peter Dutton makes a fantastic Lynchman. He's not great at counting though, and I think that they might be shaping up to bring in uh, Josh Frydenberg. You got to remember that that a leader in Australia is not particularly important. It's a party that is important. Yeah, but and people Josh don't Frydenberg, vote based purely on the party. I know that no, you know no, this. No, 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 they don't. I know, I know that right. you know this, and I know that I know this, and I know that our listeners know this, but the majority of voters are voting for the person and not the party. And we yes. keep seeing time and time again, people come into power and actually be powerless to the party, like what happened with Malcolm Turnbull. Exactly um, right. And anything that Malcolm Turnbull didn't do. So, sorry, go on. No, no, no. But when you start to add, join the dots and look at what is happening with the Australian voters who seem to be heading more centrist, someone like Josh Frydenberg, who as, is charismatic, uh, definitely has more of a sense of empathy than Scott Morrison, who again required a $115,000 coach to teach him how to ask his wife whether rape was bad. Uh, thanks, Jenny. It looks like they, yeah, thanks, Jed. It looks like they could be heading towards trying to bring in Josh Frydenberg as a great new hope against who is unfortunately, because I love him uh, a lot and I think he is a great empathetic man. Unfortunately, Anthony Albanese is not particularly charismatic. No. He grew up in a single parent home. He grew up in a housing commission environment. He is uh, the exact definition of an Australian self-made success story. He's not overly involved in religion. Uh, he has a great sense of empathy, he consistently stands up for workers, but he, weirdly enough, which is so important to us, does not have a great camera presence, is not a great public speaker does not come across as particularly charismatic. And they're all things that Australians generally look for in leaders. We all want our big daddy. Like if you look at all the leaders who've been successful over the past 40 years, they've all got that element of big daddy Australia to them. Well, literally probably our most famous and successful politician was also the best at drinking beer. So if (laughs) to see the correlation between those two things and go, oh my God, Australians literally represent, uh, literally idolise a cool, tough larrikin guy the most mm. beyond anything else. And, of course, he was, he was amazing. But, yes, we do look for those certain qualities probably before we look at people's policies and what they stand for. I think it's really Absolutely. interesting when we talk about this and, and we talk about these kind of branding exercises. Have you noticed the rebranding of Kevin Rudd lately? Oh, yeah. he's come, He's got a beard. He looks very... Um, Julian Assange, he's going against the media, he's using his middle finger, he's losing that nerdiness that he had in 2007. He actually speaks with a completely different cadence. I think they've taken Mm. him away. They've totally rebuilt everything about him. Um, And he's coming back and now all of a sudden he has a newfound popularity. I think that he's actually resonating with the Australian people in a way that he didn't before. Um, So do you think, does Josh Frydenberg do that? Yeah. I think he does. He's slowly coming into the public conscious. Look, I wouldn't vote for him because, you know, I have my own personal opinions about the current government and and the fact that they've been in too long and the things that they've done. But I think he offers a great deal of appeal to moderate liberal voters. And remember always, whenever we talk about politics, it's about swinging the middle. You don't need to satisfy the Scott Morrison voters because they're always going to vote liberal and you're never going to win over the CFMEU to start voting for the liberals. So it's about appealing to the mor- the, the moderates and that's what Josh Frydenberg does. He comes from Jewish heritage. He's, he's different to the standard mold that is getting criticized on the right at the moment. And 
that's why you know he was very empathetic towards the outbreak of Nazis recently in regional Victoria. Mm. There's a lot of things he does right that Scott Morrison doesn't fill as a leader, and I think that they are lining him up to try to supplant him six months before the election and build him up and say, look, we've changed. We're sorry. We've changed our ways. We've put in a new guy. Vote for us. Keep us in. I mean, would it be terrible? Because, like, I think that Scott Morrison is hopeless. And Mm. uh, like we said at the start, it's the party, not the person, that's the most important thing. But you do feel better having a trustworthy spokesperson. Like I remember when we went from Tony Abbott to Malcolm Turnbull, the party was the exact same. They were doing the same stuff, but we weren't the joke of the world anymore. And personally, it's hurtful to have a head of the country literally off staying in a five-star resort while people are burning to death. And Mm. so even though the government may not have done anything differently, I do think that it's important to have strong leadership and have somebody that the country can at least look up to and trust in. Um, so maybe it's not a terrible thing. And just as a total aside, as you mentioned, Frydenberg, good Jewish name. It's nice to have one of the team up there. (laughs) (laughs) When do the agnostic people get a run? When do I get a run? run? There's been heaps of them. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm not going to vote for him, but you know. I'm sure his grandma will be proud. I saw your ears prick up when I said Jewish heritage. <laughs> no, it's look, it, it wouldn't be a bad thing for the Liberal Party. I actually think it would be a positive thing. But if you look at what this government has done in the past six years, and there are some fantastic places to go find that information, Carrick Ryan, uh, Michael West Media, it, it is it is a treasure trove of the most corrupt governance our country has seen in a 40-year period. And I don't think we should... Everyone should remember that heading into the next election more so than anything else. Story number three. Can I interest you in a brand new conspiracy theory? Yes, please. Okay. If you're feeling like Flat Earth was a little 2018 and 5G is more like your grandma's conspiracy theory now, if you want to be at the cutting edge of conspiracy theories, boy, oh boy, do I have a conspiracy theory for you. It is the new conspiracy theory of fake snow. Have you seen this floating around? No, I have not. Okay. Uh, So I'll say it again. Fake snow. The state Mm. of Texas, I'm sure you would have seen in the news, has been through an insane weather event for the past couple of weeks. Uh, It's really tragic. 70 people have died. Thousands have uh, lost things like power and water. Basically, the Texas infrastructure just is not designed for this kind of weather. It's been sitting at around minus 12 some nights. Mm. So water pipes have literally just frozen and exploded. Um, it's, It's a total nightmare. When the power goes out as well and it's minus 12, people are literally freezing to death. Unsurprisingly, Mm. there is a lot of snow on the ground across Texas and people have been testing the snow by hair drying it to prove that it is what they call manufactured snow or government snow. Government snow. (laughs) They're saying that they They think Joe Biden and the Democrats are punishing them for being such strong Trump supporters. Literally, there are, I've seen videos and tweets that include the words, if Trump was still in, it would be spring. Oh, no. Let's (laughs) I want to watch one of these. I want to watch one of these videos with you so that uh, you can see exactly what's going on here. Not a snowball. Here we go. Highest setting hot. Not melting. What the? No drip. No drip. Not dripping. 
still a snowball. It concerns me that these people breed. I mean, it looked like they were together and they were in a family environment. And I'm just, it's like the person that took a level on a plane once to try to pr- prove the earth was flat. <laughs> why, why the fuck do these people all of a sudden think they're scientists? That's the most concerning thing to me, Tim. And why was she blowing up on it? Like if, even if you wanted it to melt, wouldn't the, wouldn't the air pressure push it? <laughs> like, I don't know. I so don't you're know. not signing up to the conspiracy theory of fake government snow? I don't think that the government is fake pumping snow into Texas. I don't know what that would prove. I don't know why these people think these things. It makes me sad. Do you want, uh, before we move on, should we clear up the uh, the science of what's going on? Can I get a scientific explanation from I, you? I've yeah. got one, yeah. Do you want to have a yeah, guess yeah. or you just want me to tell you? No, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. But this is the thing, Tim, is I, I know I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. As compared to... Uh, not knowing, but thinking that you should know and then coming up with something governments know. So scientists exactly. have responded. They've said that it's something called sublimation, which can happen in the right uh, temperature and humidity when humidity is very low. If something is very cold and then it's heated very quickly, sublimation happens. And it's a process similar to evaporation, but where the solid skips being a liquid in the middle. So because it's yeah, okay. as it's heating, what's becoming a liquid is then evaporating immediately before it actually becomes so it is melting it's getting smaller but no drops are coming off it yeah um and and you'll notice as well that this is only becoming a thing on tiktok because facebook is now cracking down on insane conspiracy theories oh so that's where to get now it's all about the talk yeah now you've got to be talking to get on with the crazies so i know that you're not a psychologist as you're not a scientist but why do you think that we see this massive correlation between people being stressed out and conspiracy theories? Well, because we go into flight or fright. Like that's the thing. When we and and now we're not, you know, our nervous system and how we actually process emotion hasn't evolved at the same level that our technology and that the way that we process information has. So the way that we process emotion is we have these extreme emotions and we immediately go into our primal mode where we need to get a, a, an immediate answer to these things. And when that doesn't happen, and when we have to live with this stress over several months, we essentially cook our brains and we can't fucking deal with this shit. And we start coming up with crazy stuff to try to give us a reason to understand. Because once we reach a state of understanding, then we can deal with the emotional elements to it. Because we're not getting there, they're coming up with crazy ass things. It's the same people that crashed the the the, the um, Capitol. Capitol Hill and did all these uh, and believe all the conspiracy theories because they want to have some way to understand things they can't. It doesn't help that essentially the southern part of North America, the southern states in general, I'm going to canvas Florida right through to Texas in one fell swoop, are essentially living the actuality of the movie Idiocracy. So they don't fucking understand much. <laughs> no. They would they would be watering with Gatorade if if, if people Gatorade in the North told, didn't stop them. If yeah. Gatorade <laughs> told them to, if Gatorade ran a campaign saying plants love Gatorade, they'd be watering yeah. with Gatorade. The greatest achievement of the entire American empire has been the fact that they have managed to stay a first world country while breeding so many idiots. Like that is the single, they have managed to create enough technology in the sixties and seventies 
to create this beautiful little cradle that keeps them alive in their own stupidity for the next 50 years until this all crumbles. And there's only like 1% of people that are actually holding that cradle up. Like you've got Bill Gates and you've got, the, you know, this smart guy. Elon Musk. You've you got, Va- you got Silicon Valley, but no one there knows how any of that shit works. You then have 200 million people that are just, just feeding off the teat of it. It, it's wild, man. It's absolutely insane. I did a little um, bit of research on this because I wanted to know yeah. where um, these conspiracy theories tend to come from in our brains. And you're pretty much spot on. There are a couple of different things um, that they say contribute to somebody uh, being interested in conspiracy theories. So there is mm. epistemic, which is the need for knowledge and certainty. So basically when you feel like you don't have any certainty um, and there are these confusing things, you create answers because you need something that you can latch onto. There's educational. Mm. So people with lower levels of education are more likely to be drawn in because they don't know how to evaluate different sources of knowledge. Um, There's existential. People uh, feel like they need to have control over their lives and conspiracy theories give you that control. And then there's social motives. So if you feel like you're isolated and you don't like the group that's isolating you, and then you come up with a thing in the world then all of a sudden you're better than that group that's isolating you. So you're actually... Yeah. You're, you're Luke Skywalker. You're, Luke you're Skywalker. the hero. Yes. And they're all just the, I don't even know, Star Wars references. The guys that walk around in the white suits. They're all <laughs> Stormtroopers. So Go when watch you, a fucking movie, man. <laughs> when, you look at, when you look at, this is from a psychological review. When you look at all of the things that they say it takes to draw somebody into a conspiracy theory or to prime someone for a conspiracy theory. Have we accidentally created a conspiracy theory Petri dish in America? We is a strong word, Tim. I know I personally have done nothing to contribute to the insanity of America. If you're asking if America in general has cre- is a self-burning furnace, then yes, I think you're 100% right. Because they hypersensor, like you're talking about a country that created Hollywood and created Fox News and created these this these hypersent it's actually really interesting because I was talking about it with my fiance Jazz the other night and we were we were talking it in reference to love and what is love and how does love work or how does love operate and I said I think it's fascinating because Hollywood supplants love with lust pretty much every rom-com you've ever met it never like the notebook is the only one that ends 50 years in the future all of them end after the first good date. None of them then deal with the mundaneness of having to spend the next 20 years next to each other, dealing with each other's flatulence and inability to clean things. And and that is where it's just like when Elon Musk says, if we live in a simulation, then whatever we are a simulation of must be incredibly boring. Because whenever we want to distill these, whenever we want to watch something exciting, we distill down the human experience, whether it's in a video game or in a movie or any of these things. And in America, people have been programmed to think that these distillations are real are life. Real. Yeah. Exactly. So we are all like in America, they are all searching for these extremes of emotion or extremes of experience, and they can't get their fucking hands on them. So they go crazy trying to make up reasons why it doesn't happen to them. I've never so, heard yeah. You, yeah, I've I've never heard you articulate this thought before. And I've got to say I completely agree. And it's a thought that I've had before, I think independently. Like I found when I was in America that there were so many things like like the college life, for example, mm. is so similar to so many aspects of college movies that I think what that Hollywood bubble does 
is create something that people in America think is actually attainable. So when we watch, you know, American Pie, for example, and we watch these mm. movies, we go, oh, my God, that's that's really funny. But we don't then look at our lives and go, why isn't my life this exciting? It must be either the world's fault or my fault. And I actually think that that's why, I mean, this is this is quite a detour, but there seem to be so many like sexually motivated um, shootings and stuff in America. I'm not sure if you remember, there was one a couple of years ago where, where a guy, and it had happened a few times, shot up kind of like a sorority area. Um, yeah, it was the whole incel movement. Yeah, the whole incel movement. And I think what it came from was these loser guys watching these movies going, why aren't I living that life? Why aren't I having that amount of sex or those amounts of experiences? And seeing the movies and thinking that that's a real representation of what their life should be. Whereas we watch those movies and we go, that's a funny movie. And so we react. Well, that's fucking crazy. Or like you, we watch Bad Neighbors and we go yeah. like, oh, that was, a, that was a wild thing. Whereas they're over there and they're like, why isn't my frat like that? I'm buying a gun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think it's interesting that you kind of bring that back to this whole conspiracy theory thing. So, so you think yeah. that Americans are seeing this life that they could potentially be living, glamorized by Hollywood, and then blaming themselves and society for not having it. And that's why yeah. they're searching for those escapes. Absolutely. I much prefer the Scandinavian way of life where, where like oh, when I lived over there in Denmark and studied there, I would study with people and they'd be like, yeah, I'm not very smart. So I'm going to become a, like a, a dump truck driver, but I really fucking, you know, I, I you know, I'm still going to have a good life. I'll still have a nice little yeah. house and have a dog and stuff like, like we all need to learn to enjoy the mundaneness of our existence and stop trying to lean into having these extreme Instagram, Kim Kardashian, Hollywood, uh, video game experiences because they're not sustainable. And, and ultimately they're very, very unfulfilling. Like you can have a crazy night partying or you can have six months of really emotionally healthy existence. And that is going to make you feel fulfilled so much more than taking a bunch of pills or snorting a bunch of drugs on a weekend and then feeling flat for three days. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Interesting. There you go. I, I, I like your theory on that. Nick Picks. I've started listening to a podcast that I really enjoy. It's called What the Flux. And basically it's a uh, it's F-L-U-X. It's a five-minute daily economics podcast by two Aussie guys who work out of the share, uh, the same share office space as me. So I see them around. Really lovely guys. And basically five minutes, the top three stories of the day, kind of like what we do, but much Tell more. Tell them to get the hell off our fucking border. <laughs> But they do, they, it's little. And also they're like much more professional. They have an app. It they're, sounds way more listenable. They, <laughs> <laughs> check out what it's, <laughs> very intelligent guys, check it out. Oh, good. I'm glad for them. Yeah. That around. I was just going to I, I went to Holy Moly on the weekend. Uh, and I think they've got one in Melbourne and Sydney. And the, there yeah. might be one in Canberra as well. They basically find church nightclubs and convert them into, um, putt-putt golf courses they're really fun it's a fun night i got back into karaoke for the first time in ages me and all my friends at holy moly they have karaoke yeah yeah we had a karaoke room we accidentally booked it and it was hilarious halfway through our karaoke session they accidentally had the pa from another karaoke room going into ours (laughs) so we were all sitting there and all of a sudden started hearing a very very bad rendition of alexander hamilton (laughs) (laughs) which was probably the highlight of the night so visit holy moly 
don't listen to What the Flux. What are it's you good. doing? It's good. No, check it out. It's oh, five I'm minutes. Really you can good. listen to it while you brush your so teeth. So Rogan. So is a bunch of other podcasts. Right. Stick with us. We'll we that. Let's get out of here. If you're not in the Facebook group, join the Facebook group off-air podcast community. We discuss all the topics throughout the week. Um, and if you're in the mood, give us a couple of stars or a, uh, a review on whatever app you're listening to us on. It will make our week. We'll catch you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Off Air. Remember to like and subscribe. People are entitled to their sexual proclivities. <laughs> <laughs>